Just the other day, I went to our local neighborhood grocery store. Now, before I go any further, let me outline my typical MO when I go to the grocery store. I'm usually on a mission. I mean, I've plotted out exactly where I'm going to go. I've located the products on my on my phone app for the store because I want to get in and get out in the shortest time possible. I usually pick it up off the shelf. I look right at the floor because I don't want to look at anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to get it pay for it and get out because I'm usually on the move and I don't like to chit chat in the grocery store. Well, anyway, I'm in the store, but this time was a little different because as, as I was just fire blazing my pace down one of the aisles, I noticed two reproductive age women uh, in the little uh, refrigerated kombucha beverage section and they were talking with each other and they kind of looked a, a little hesitant, almost a little embarrassed. And as I walked by, I saw that they were discussing among themselves which product of kombucha, which they were in a section that said for vaginal health, which one they should buy. And so, of course, my first thought was keep going, keep going, don't make eye contact, don't engage, don't engage. <laughs> and so I, as I turned the corner into the other hall, uh, I had to stop. And I said, you know what? I, I, I just I, I just can't. I just can't help myself. Let me go in and, and let me go explain something to them. So I backtracked and I found them still in that little refrigerated kombucha section. And sure enough, she had just reached for something that's, that said vaginal health. And I said, I'm so sorry. I promise this is not weird. Uh, and, 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 and I promise you, I am not trying to pick you up at the store because my wife will kill me. Thank you very much. Uh, but, but as a OBGYN, I, I, I just noticed that you were looking at something here in the kombucha aisle for vaginal health. And as an OBGYN, I just wanted to tell you X, Y, and Z. And so, yeah, my little don't engage and get the product quickly and get out became a quick 10-minute Q&A session on why this product and all kinds of oral probiotics for vaginal health may not be what they're marketed to be. And so, of course, as I was walking out, I thought, hmm, that would indeed be a good podcast topic. That is so weird. But but th- yes, this is absolutely true, okay? Uh, and then today, uh, we're gonna, I may do this all, all today, uh, which is Sunday. I may carry it over till tomorrow, which is Monday. I'm not sure. But today, I received a Facebook message uh, about somebody asking about, hey, can, do you have a podcast episode on the vaginal microbiome? And I said, well, there you go. That's confirmation that I'm absolutely supposed to do this. Actually, just uh, on our topic list, I looked in our schedule. I actually have something called the vaginal microbiota and sex that's supposed to be coming up uh, in the next uh, several weeks. But I thought, you know what? Let me relate what I told these two people. uh, shoppers uh, at the stores just a couple of days ago uh, and and why this whole issue on the vaginal microbiota and probiotics for vaginal health really needs some clearing up uh, and some discussion. So in this episode, we're going to talk about probiotics for the vagina. Yes or no? We're going to do a deep dive into this topic. And FYI, I am not against kombucha uh, at all. I think it tastes kind of weird, but if that's your thing, knock yourself out. We're going to dive into that a little bit as well. And why only a certain type of probiotics may work for vaginal health. 
And as you can guess, it is not the oral variety. All right, so let's get into probiotics and your vagina. Yay or nay? Medicine moves real fast. We're here to help us all keep up the pace. This is Clinical Pearls. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, let me first answer a question that I'm sure you have before we get into the whole content here, which is, well, what did these two young women do? <laughs> okay, and, and, and I think, no, no, let me be very honest. I, no, I usually do not approach women I do not know in the grocery store. Okay, can I just set that out at the beginning? Please don't send me any weird messages. Oh my God, I can't believe you did that. Hey, I did that because I was concerned for their finances because before they buy a $7 little refrigerated kombucha uh, to help their vajayjay work better, I thought, I I just can't do it. My goodness. I mean, with inflation, what it is, I just can't let these these. Poor college students, of course, I don't know if they're poor or not, but I, I just can't let them do it. Uh, and, and to be honest, and, and it's all in the approach, right? So I said, hey, look, I, I just wanted to let you know that uh, I, I see you getting this. I, I saw you discussing it as an OBGYN. I wanted to let you know what we know about the data for this uh, and see if you had any questions about it. Uh, and you know what? It was a really nice conversation. I mean, they had some great questions. They're like, oh, my gosh, this is super helpful. And then at the end, I did have to say, okay, look, I uh, please don't think this was weird. I, and I promise, again, there was no ill intent. I just really, I couldn't help myself because I'm in medical education. I mean, I'm a practicing physician. And and I just wanted to make sure that you knew uh, where the data was and where it wasn't regarding this. Uh, and at the end of the, our little conversation, they did not get that. So I was like, oh, sorry, sorry, story. I just lost, you just lost a sale because of that. But but I wanted them to to really understand what was out there. And then as I got into my car, I thought, yeah, that was pretty weird. I, I, I guess I should not do that. I need to just continue with my typical MO, which is going to the store, look at the floor, not look at anybody, not talk to anybody, and go. Which reminds me, I also hate going to the store. I know this is weird. I'm a gynecologist, okay? I'm OBGYN, even though most of my practice is, is in obstetrics. But when my wife asks me to please go and pick up sanitary feminine hygiene stuff, I know it shouldn't bother me. I know. And it's not a machismo thing. Trust me. I just, I just don't want to do it. As trendy and as popular as kombucha is, it's not a contemporary invention by any stretch of the means. There's a nice review article on this out of the Journal of Food Chemistry from last year in 2022 that goes through the origins of this and how basically it has changed based on its type of ingredients. But it can actually go all the way back to 2,000 years ago 
in China. And even though its origins are not completely understood, it is likely the result of simply leaving out some black tea out uh, with some contamination uh, of some uh, yeast or bacteria that literally fell into the to the drink. Uh, and then somebody uh, drank it and said, uh, this is potentially uh, something pretty good. But it is not new. It goes back to China for 2,000 years. Now, before I get into any sort of trouble by any company, I have no beef against kombucha tea or kombucha fermented beverages, okay? So I, I, one of our program coordinators love that stuff. Sometimes she shares it with me. And after I first get to the first drink and my eye starts to twitch because of its bitterness and its weird taste, <laughs> I drink it, okay? So I'm not against it. Uh, and so again, I'm not against anybody making or anybody drinking kombucha. If that's your gig, fantastic. I'm happy for you. But just know that a lot of the touted health benefits from these drinks uh, are not evidence-based, okay? Let's just say. Now, the content, what's in them, the the, the fermented uh, material and the probiotic uh, colonies. I mean, you can see that stuff at the bottom. Blech. I mean, I, and the vitamins that they contain and the amino acids. I get that. I'm hip with it. That's great. They, they just don't have any data that that actually does anything. It sounds good, but it doesn't have any true RCT well-designed studies that this improves diabetes or improves renal function or uh, helps your uh, liver detox. It, it, it's just not out there. And the small amount of data that is out there is very limited in quality and typically tends to be very poor design because, as you guessed it, it's very hard to control all the other diet aspects when all we're looking at is this one type of fermented beverage, typically a type of fermented tea. Does that make sense? Now, now there are some, as I mentioned, there are some uh, of some true publications out there that, that have... Uh, postulated the health benefits of this mainly in terms of GI health and aiding in digestion. That's fine. That's legit. But overall, chronic diseases like uh, diabetes and again, renal insufficiency or renal problems or UTIs, all of that is just not very well established in the data. And when we get into vaginal applications for these oral products, we'll see how the data, let me just spoil it right here, is even less solid, okay? So to be clear, while there's some evidence, it's just really not great evidence about the benefits of kombucha for overall health, there has been some potential concerns about it, and that has to do with the amount of content, of ethanol content, alcohol content in those drinks because of the fermentation process. So as an OBGYN, uh, I, I do need to say it right here, if, you, if a patient asks who is pregnant or if they're breastfeeding, uh, it's generally considered a no-go to use these products, okay? So in general, pregnant women and those that are breastfeeding or those who have chronic immunodeficiency conditions, uh, it's advised to actually not take kombucha teas. Oh, and if you've never heard of kombucha tea, 
uh, then you really need to get out more. I mean, it's everywhere. I mean, it's super, super popular. You can pretty much go to any gas station or grocery store uh, and even some artsy-fartsy little, you know, coffee shops and they'll have your kombucha tea, okay? Uh, so if you don't know what that is, it is fermented and it's a combination of tea, sugar, bacteria, and yeast colonies. Usually you have to shake it up because all the yeast and all the debris kind of settle at the bottom. That's stuff that gets stuck in your throat. Ugh. Uh, and to make the drink, bacteria and yeast, they, they first have to grow together into a culture, and then they add sugar, and then they add some kind of tea mix or fruit mix uh, so that it can further uh, ferment. Uh, and so in addition to that, sometimes they add some extra vitamin content to it and amino acids for that extra health kick. Um, but as we stated, there may be a lot of health claims out there regarding kombucha, uh, but the data is a little shady. I have to clarify, as I've said this in previous episodes, even with the one recently focused on uh, myo-inositol and, and PCOS, that I am a big fan of certain supplements and of eating right, okay? I, be, I believe there's something to that. Um, but taking evidence-based supplementation like myo-inositol for something like PCOS is a little different than what we're talking about here. And it's not just my opinion. Back in February the 11th of 2019, in Time Magazine, there was an excerpt that talked about kombucha and its uh, somewhat controversial health benefits. And they interviewed an expert from UCLA's Center for Human Nutrition, Dr. Lee. And here's a quick excerpt from that uh, release from Time Magazine, again from 2019. Quote, Despite all the health claims about kombucha, nutrition experts say there's not enough scientific evidence yet to support most of them. Dr. Lee, who's also professor of medicine and director of the UCLA Center for Human Nutrition, also added, quote, We really lack some well-controlled studies to say that this form of kombucha or this other form actually does anything. Many of the health claims related to kombucha come as a result of people extrapolating study findings relating to the human microbiome or the nutritional benefits of tea, and they just kind of like that concept, take it, and run with it, end quote. As I mentioned before, there is better evidence that orally ingested kombucha can possibly help with digestion and help the GI microbiome because that's putting the source of the colonies uh, and the helpful uh, ingredients, all the helpful vitamins uh, and the rest of the anti-inflammatory substances directly into the GI tract. And also, they tend to be very high in fiber, which is obviously good for the GI system. So there is some data, again, it's just not great data, that kombucha tea really does have some GI benefits, but as it relates to more chronic diseases, and especially as it relates to vaginal health, that's almost a stretch of the details. And as it is in nature, as it is in medicine, and as it is in life overall, too much of a good thing, or even the best of intention, can have some negative consequences. Remember that kombucha, by its very design, because it's fermented, is naturally acidic. So the idea is that taking too much kombucha, say three times uh, daily, could potentially be bad for oral health, because that acidity could potentially uh, erode a lot of the healthy dental enamel uh, and help uh, promote some, some gingival disease. Is that crazy? 
crazier wet. So while it helps the GI tract, may be bad for oral health. Again, it's not that clear, but at least there is evidence that due to its high acidity, that may not be the best, especially with daily repeated exposures for the teeth. But even if there is some good GI benefits at the expense of teeth, then but even though there may be some potential GI benefits at the expense of oral health, that doesn't necessarily translate to benefits to vaginal health as it relates to the vaginal microbiome from these oral products, okay? Now, if your first thought is, well, how did that even get how, how is that even, how is that leap made? I and mean, we're talking about ingesting something. Uh, how does that affect the vagina? Well, it's very clear. I mean, things from the GI tract that enter either through the circulation or through lymphatics uh, can end up in the vagina through circulatory means. That at least is a thought. And of course, by changing the, the GI microbiota, uh, and because of the proximity of the rectum and the anus to the vagina, then potentially that could help ops- offset um, some negative vaginal hits uh, to the vaginal microbiome. So that's the idea, okay? So if you're thinking, well, how does the oral stuff get into the vagina? It is a leap, but that's the thought process. That things that are ingested potentially could end up helping the vagina, But is that true? Well, we're going to go over the data here in a minute, but let me just give you the very short answer. Uh, No, it doesn't seem to be. Okay. Now, I I know you're going to be able to find an article that says, oh, this diet rich uh, uh, source of nutrition, especially like those that have a a high glycemic index, actually led to more lactobacilli in the vagina. I I know that article, by the way. I, I, I get that. There is that data. The problem is, how do you control for everything else out there that could potentially affect vaginal microbiome? That's why these studies uh, are very poor quality, because it's almost impossible to limit the other influences to vaginal uh, microbiota health and wellness. Does that make sense? And yes, we're going to explain the vaginal microbiota in in just uh, a little bit more detail in just a minute. So yes, there is a publication that said high glycemic foods, ah, oh, lactobacilli like that because they need the glycogen uh, for lactobacilli to reproduce and make lactic acid. So eating high glycemic foods actually helps the vaginal microbiome. The problem is, is that there's another article that said, ah, oh, eating high glycemic foods actually leads to an ability uh, of Gardnerella to reproduce, actually gives you more BV. <laughs> So do you see how complicated this is? So the short of it is, is that while people have looked at diet and vaginal health for probiotics uh, and the vaginal microbiome, uh, the data is very controversial and absolutely not clear. That is in deep contrast to things like uh, myo-inositol and PCOS because that's a whole other issue, okay? That's going through the circulation, hitting the ovary, uh, having myo-inositol in the proper ratio over the chiro-inositol. So, so I, I don't want to confuse uh, our, our listenership here, our, our podcast family, because in, on the one hand, we just said that, you know, diet uh, supplements do help with certain conditions like PCOS. And then over here, under the kombucha side, where we're saying it doesn't help. Well, that's because it's completely different. We're talking about metabolic systemic changes on the one hand with myoinositol and PCOS in that discussion. And today, uh, this topic, we're talking about uh, oral intake and vaginal health, Okay. So it's completely different. And, and I don't want to keep going back to that PCOS 
uh, episode. But again, if you didn't hear that, you got to go back. There's a lot of good stuff in that. But the short answer is, while kombucha is super trendy and may potentially be helpful for your GI tract, there's there's no solid evidence at all that it impacts vaginal health, okay? And even the broader topics that have looked at diet and vaginal health uh, are super controversial because they're very hard to stratify all the influences that go into the vaginal microbiota. Now, I, I know what you're thinking, but what about vaginal probiotics. I'm going to touch on that as well because that's the one caveat that potentially slash maybe slash might could help. You all see those three different qualifies there potentially maybe and as my wife says as I said in an other episode it might could. So <laughs> vaginal probiotics maybe that contain uh, lactobacilli but there's a big catch to that. And the big catch is that that gives a big burst of lactobacilli deposition once that capsule or suppository dissolves in the vagina, but it actually doesn't change the amount of colonization. In other words, they don't take root and and stay. They just are temporary visitors, and then it falls out of the vagina. And there is data for that, and we'll get into that a little bit later on in the episode. So where are we right now? Because I think I've lost, have I totally derailed here? Are you all following me? We're talking about do probiotics help the vagina? And so far, as we look at oral probiotics uh, and the trendy way that they are typically being consumed now, which is in a fermented drink called kombucha, uh, likely does not do anything to the vaginal health. Now, same thing applies for probiotics in other forms, whether that's uh, tablets or pills. I have no problem with probiotics. I think they do have a role for GI health. I really do, especially if you have uh, certain types of, of, of irritable bowel syndrome. I think that's great. Or even some kinds of atopic conditions because uh, atopic conditions like chronic dermatoses, we know that that's related to diet and, and to microbiome health. So that's legit. But again, having a little bit of truth in that realm doesn't translate, doesn't uh, move over into vaginal health. All right, that's a good segue to actually now focus on what we're really trying to focus on here, which is the potential benefit of probiotics, either oral that we've already kind of exonate or vaginal in maintaining a healthy vaginal ecosystem. In other words, a healthy vaginal microbiota. Let's cover that next. Before we get into the uses of probiotics to maintain the vaginal microbiota, we have to dive into this whole concept of vaginal microbiota to begin with. Because we, it, it's amazing how much we've learned about this thing, right? The the normal environment, the ecosystem that's in perfect harmony to keep out disease. And all of, a lot of this data actually started, of course, as we've already mentioned, as, and, as I'm sure you're aware of, with the GI microbiome, right? Chronic diseases, including some allergic conditions, are absolutely tied to GI health, including chronic inflammatory states. Amazing, right? And we've even discussed in previous episodes that, you know, I trained that breast milk uh, was sterile, right? All breast milk, there's no bacteria in that. We know that that's not true because even breast milk itself um, has its own microbiota that has its origins, of course, uh, in the ducts that line uh, the lactiferous uh, cells, the lactiferous ducts. So everything has its coding, this, this harmony of bacteria 
And of course, uh, the, the vagina has its own microbiota. The microbiota of the vagina has been defined as this dynamic. So let's stop there for a minute. Dynamic means changing, right? It's not static. It is changing. I'm going to give you that data right after this little tidbit uh, of definition because it really is remarkable because the vaginal ecosystem changes based on where a patient is in their reproductive life. It changes where they are in their cycle. It changes with the kind of uh, hormonal birth control that they're on. It changes uh, because of sex and it changes because of pregnancy. And of course, it changes outside of the reproductive years in menopause. So it's dynamic. So when somebody says, what's the vaginal microbiota like, outside of saying the stock answer, which is, well, it's predominantly held by the police of the vagina, which is the lactobacilli in its variety of species. uh, the, The next answer is, and it's always changing. See, that's the catch. That's why it's hard to do these studies on the microbiota of the vagina, because Every woman has its own, has her own type of microbiota. So Susie's little vaginal microbiota is different than Jennifer's vaginal microbiota. I don't know who Susie or Jennifer is, just FYI, just threw those out. Call her Sally and Jane, whatever. The point is not one uh, cookie-cutter vaginal microbiota profile outside of the lactobacilli predominance is the same for each woman. Is that crazy or what? I like the way that this has been uh, defined uh, because it goes on to say dynamic, complex, perfect harmony ecosystem of microorganisms, bacteria, and fungi that live in this perfect symbiosis all to the governing body that is the lactobacilli. How cool is that? All right, everyone, here's a great resource for you if you ever want to do this as a journal club. Um, and sing around, sit around with some wine and cheese and talk about the vaginal microbiota. Uh, that's a good journal club topic, isn't it? Uh, this is out of Frontiers in Cellular and Infection Microbiology from 2021. A great review of how the microbiota actually changes. And the title of this publication is The Female Vaginal Microbiome in Health and Bacterial Vaginosis. Let me read you an excerpt from this 2021 publication because it just really seals in how outside of lactobacilli, just how varied this is. Uh, So it can give you an appreciation of this little town, this little environment with the population being very well, bacteria ethnically diverse, shall we say, all right? Because it really does change. A population uh, does change based on where a woman is, is in, in her life. So let me read you this excerpt. Ready? Quote, in women of reproductive age, physiological changes like changes in hormone levels cause fluctuations in the vaginal microbiome. Marked differences have been reported among non-pregnant and pregnant women in terms of the vaginal microbiome and its composition. According to the comparison results, there's a sharp decline in the diversity and abundance of the vaginal microbiome in pregnant women. They go on to say, Thus, the vaginal microbiome changes temporarily in a single person. In addition, the vaginal microbiome differs largely among individuals, and the differences are due to variations in sexual activity, chronic stress, regional disparity, race, and even some health practices like douching. End quote. Now, let's stop there for a minute because here they talk about health practices. But remember, there's no health benefits, any kind of benefits for douching. They just listed that in there as a type of health behavior. But just to be clear, there is no health benefits of any kind for vaginal douching. 
I like how some experts in gynecology have tried to explain the variances of vaginal microbiomes as they related to different blood types. So I've heard it said that just as there's different blood types, uh, research has actually confirmed that there's different kinds of vaginal microbiota and they fit into different categories. So it's not that one is necessarily better than the other. They're just different. And these vaginal categories of, of microbiomes are called the community state types or CSTs. All right, all to say, see how difficult it is to do a study on the vaginal microbiota because uh, unless you're looking just for lactobacilli, uh, and even within that family, the specific member of that family, the specific uh, species can vary, again, based on where a, a, a patient is. So it's very hard to do this, okay? We're going to get into some of the data on it, though, uh, and especially as it applies to vaginal application of probiotics. But but this is why the data on any kind of probiotic use and the vagina is just very hard to do, very hard to control, and is of, of limited quality. If you want more information about these vaginal CSTs, these community state types as they relate to especially recurrent infections like recurrent BV, uh, which is anaerobic, or even the aerobic type of vaginitis. Uh, and uh, we've referenced this in the past as one publication, but you can find it in Frontiers in Microbiology in 2019. And the author is Deceta, okay, D-E-S-E-T-A. And the title is, as you would expect, the Vaginal Community State Type Microbiome Immune Network as Key Factors for Bacteriovaginosis and Aerobic Vaginitis. Now that we've explained what the vaginal microbiota is, now I think we should explain what are meant by probiotics since we're merging these two concepts together. I know that most of you have heard of that. Of course, we all know what probiotics are. That gets thrown around. But what, what actually is it? So let's briefly define that, and then we'll get into our does it help with the vagina or not, right? Is that yay or nay? And we're going to explain all of that before I give you that answer. But probiotics are live bacteria that are taken in either in a uh, pill form. It can be as a food supplement or as a drink, as we've just covered. It can be a topical application. And it can even be a suppository because there are a variety of different companies that market uh, vaginal suppository probiotics. And we're going to address that in the data as well. Uh, anyway, but typically probiotics were, were really first marketed, of course, for gut health. And then it kind of expanded to this, hey, I think this is anti-inflammatory, good for chronic diseases, um, and potentially uh, for vaginal health, which is what we're talking about here. Oh, and on a related note, and I need to say this because if not, someone's going to message me that I forgot this. There is a difference between probiotics and prebiotics, okay? So think about probiotics as the soldiers and prebiotics are the are the MREs. Y'all know what that is? That's that's meals ready to eat. It's the food source for the soldiers, okay? So prebiotics are the non-living materials that the probiotics consume in order to function. All right, fine. So some products are just probiotic based and some combine prebiotics with probiotics. So you got to know what the patient is taking. So if, if you ever asked, hey, um, do you like product X, Y, or Z as a probiotic? Then you can answer back and go, oh, what's in it? And does it also include prebiotics? So just giving you some of the terms out there. So in case somebody asks you, you know what they're talking about. 
All right, let's start getting to the answer here because we're running out of time. So I want to be very clear, while probiotics do seem to have a role for digestive health and overall digestive wellness, and we've already addressed that, the data regarding orally administered probiotics are not so favorable as having an impact for vaginal microbiome health, okay? So let's say it in other words. Take it by mouth, good for your GI tract, but probably not for the VJJ. This was actually published back in 2019 in BJOG. That's the British Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology. The title of this publication is Effects of Oral Probiotic Supplements on Vaginal Microbiota During Pregnancy. This was a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial with microbiome analysis. All right, so this is exactly what we're talking about. Now, notice this was in a pregnant population, but that's okay because as long as you don't cross pregnant and non-pregnant, then it's still valid, okay? Remember that because being pregnant by itself changes the vaginal microbiome. In short, this was an RCT that was double-blinded. And after they gave one group the oral probiotics and then took a look at the vaginal composition of the microbiota, the short of it it was, quote, oral probiotics taken from early pregnancy did not modify the vaginal microbiota, end quote. And, and if you're thinking, why do they do this? Well, they're trying to keep bacterial vaginosis at bay, trying to keep lactobacilli healthy, trying to keep vaginal pathogens out of the vagina, uh, which makes sense because right, the population is pregnant in this study, but it, it didn't make any difference, all right? So 2019, BJOG, oral probiotics did not impact in any demonstrable way the vaginal microbiota. So it's because of this disappointing results from the oral route that some data has focused on on vaginal administration of probiotics. So before I go into that data, because I know you've heard it, is, oh, I'm going to take healthy colonies of lactobacilli and put that into my, the, my vagina. And so I'm going to take scoops of yogurt and stick it up in there into the vagina. Please do not tell your patients to do that. Because, number one, they're putting a bunch of sugar in their vagina, and that's not good. Two, the amount of lactobacilli in, in yogurt specifically is super varied, and it's actually pretty darn small, so that's not the way to do it. And three, you're supposed to eat your yogurt, not put it up the vajuju. So do not put yogurt in the vagina. And yes, there is data where vaginal suppositories of probiotics typically containing different species of lactobacilli, you know, obviously put into the vagina and to try to maintain a vaginal ecosystem, that has been published as well. The problem is, is that it only changes the microbiome, it increases the lactobacilli until the product runs out of the vagina. So in other words, it, it definitely gives a bolus of lactobacilli into the vagina once the pill or suppository dissolves, but it doesn't translate into true colonization. So here's one of the questions about using vaginal probiotics. It, it only seems to help if you do it long term to, to keep lactobacilli in the vagina. So that's the one thing is it's got to be chronic use. And obviously, that's just not sustainable. But the other caveat where there is published data is as a supplement to antibiotic use that's used to help initially fix a condition of dysbiosis like antibiotics for BV and then using vaginal uh, probiotics to keep it maintained. In other words, as maintenance or as prevention of recurrent symptoms. There actually is some data for that. 
An article was published back in 2010 in the International Journal of Gynecology and Obstetrics that took a look at this, and the title was Long-Term Vaginal Administration of Lactobacillus as a Complementary Approach to Management of BV. This was kind of a neat study, but it was not very large numbers, all right? This was a very limited N. A total of 49 women with a diagnosis of BV were randomized into two groups. Group A were treated with the typical regimen, that's 500 milligrams of oral metronidazole twice a day for seven days. Group B was treated with the same schedule, followed by a once-weekly vaginal application of 40 milligrams of lactobacillus, and in this case, it was L-Ramnios, all right? And they did that for six months. And as you would think, during the first six months of follow-up, 96% of patients in group B, that's the group that had the vaginal probiotics, had at or above the level of lactobacilli, well, because you're putting it into the vagina. I mean, that makes sense. But more importantly, those that had the vaginal probiotic actually had less development. They had less recurrence of BV. So it, it did have a role, again, small numbers, and this was from 2010, but after after acute treatment of the antibiotic, then became it had a role as a way to prevent recurrence. Now, you know me better than that, right? I'm not going to give you a study that's now 13 years old. That's 2010. It's 2023. I get that. Come on, guys. Uh, you know you know me by now, right? But it's a good bookend because that's one from 2010. Now, watch this one because this just came out not long ago in 2022. So this came out last year in April. And the title of this systematic review is Effects of Pro and Prebiotics Alone Over Pro or Prebiotics Combined with Conventional Antibiotic Therapy to Treat treat bacterial vaginosis. And again, this is a systematic review. So everybody good? So here's our two camps. Pro and prebiotics alone or pro or prebiotics combined with conventional antibiotic therapy for BV. You would suspect that used alone, it wouldn't work, right? I mean, the tradition is antibiotic therapy. It's flagell. I get that. That makes sense. And so it's reasonable to conclude, as we just saw in 2010, that if you if you knock it out first, you knock out Gardnerella or whatever the anaerobic bacteria is that's causing BV with antibiotics, then you can maintain it with, uh, with the pro and prebiotic as a supplement. So you figure it only work in those after antibiotics and not used alone, right? I mean, that would make sense. Well, that's not actually what was shown. I mean, in, in this systematic review, again, of limited quality data, but there's data here that vaginally applied, even when used alone, help to restore the vaginal microbiota, either uh, based on a Nugent score or Amsel's criteria, back towards normal. So, in this study, it, it did work. Pre and probiotics did have a role in reversing BV with or without antibiotic therapy. But it does make sense, right? I mean, if you're taking a big load of lactobacilli, putting police back into the neighborhood, I mean, figure crime would go down. You'd figure. That's just my analogy, guys. Come on, don't, don't send me any kind of weird messages. But you get what I'm saying, right? If you have a dysbiosis where lactobacilli go down, well, 
give more lactobacilli. And I'm all for this kind of stuff because I think we really do use antibiotics way, way too much. But I don't want to get in any trouble, so let me be evidence-based and let me tell you legit what I do. I I tell patients, hey, you've got BV. I can fix that. The CDC says that Flagyl 500 BID, metronidazole for seven days works. Uh, You can take that. But in my patients who have recurrent symptoms and we've done the extended vaginitis panel, which actually looks for uh, for a speciation of of what is causing the problem, not just like a VP3, right? Not just the vaginitis BV trick uh, in Canada as categories, but actually looking for the names of, of what's what the patient has and the, the amount of lactobacilli that's called the extended or expanded vaginitis panel, that's called, that's a molecular test, and I've referenced that in another episode as well. Then I tell them, look, I I can give you the antibiotic. I've got no beef with that, but I'm going to give you the antibiotic because that's what the CDC says to do. Plus, I want you to go get this vaginal probiotic uh, and use that twice a week for the first week uh, and then weekly thereafter uh, to try to keep uh, the, the vaginal condition uh, uh, appropriate. So there is evidence for that, guys. So oral probiotics for vaginal health, not so much. Vaginal uh, lactobacilli, even though we don't know the exact amount, what's the milligram amount, it seems to be 40, or it's a specific species. There is data that vaginal probiotic therapy can help. So uh, again, I want to be very clear here. I do follow CDC rules, and I do give a patient a CDC-recommended treatment uh, medication, which is either oral flagell or a vaginal antibiotic in line with the CDC recs. But in those that are having recurrent symptoms, I also tell them to go get vaginal a probiotic that has lactobacilli. We don't know the exact dose. It seems, again, to be 40 milligrams, and it seems to be at least once a week to twice a week because it can't hurt and potentially can help keep bacterial vaginosis at bay. And it's not simply those two publications from 2010 and 2022 that show the value of vaginal probiotic therapy in keeping this harmonious symbiosis in check. There was another publication that came out online first in 2013 and then in print in 2014 in Archives of Gynecology and Obstetrics out of Springerlink. And the title was The Role of Lactobacilli and Probiotics in Maintaining Vaginal Health. And after their review, the authors concluded, quote, the administration of probiotics that colonize the vaginal tract can be important in maintaining a normal urogenital health and also prevent and possibly treat infections. Now, they use the word colonize there. We know that colonization is hard to prove because it's hard to figure out what you just dumped in the vagina and what actually took hold as true colonization. But it does go over the science and, and some of the data back again in 2013 online and then in print in 2014 out of the archives of gynecology and obstetrics. All right, podcast family. So if you ever see me at our local grocery store and I'm on the move and I'm looking at the ground, it's because I do not want to engage. (laughs) I just want to get what I need and get out. I just want to move. And so, yes, I'm not typically in the habit of stopping people in the aisles and telling them whether to buy something or not to buy anything. Oh, my goodness. I drive people crazy. And my poor family, I tell you what, they got to live with me. All right, podcast family, as always, I hope you found this helpful. We're thankful for you, and we're glad you're part of our podcast community. And we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.